Well, it's so simple, a child can do it. Did you invite anybody to church this week? We've been saying for the last uh, couple of Sundays that research tells us 90% of the people who join a church attended that particular church the first time because somebody invited them. Research also tells us that of the people you have a relationship with already, 80% of them will respond positively if you invite them to church. So again, I ask, did you invite anybody to church this week? Each Sunday I've been asking another question. If the future of our church depended on how you currently are inviting people to church, what kind of future would we have? All of us who know the Lord, follow Jesus, love Jesus, know we're supposed to love people and serve people, meet their needs, that we're supposed to invite people to church and tell them about all the things Jesus has done for us and how much he loves them and what he can do for them and how they can be forgiven and have a relationship with with him and so on. But the truth is we don't do that as much as we know we should do it. We're intimidated a lot of different things, a lot of different reasons many of us don't invite people to church and talk to people about Jesus as much as we're supposed to. And so in this very brief sermon series, I've been trying to clear up some of the misconceptions. A couple of weeks ago we said that we need to stop thinking about the future, that it's always in the future, always in the future. Someday they're not ready now that Jesus said, look, because the fields are already white to harvest. People are ready to accept your invitation now to hear about Jesus now. So seize the day, seize the moment. Last week we talked about how to pray as it relates to evangelism and that Jesus says we need to be praying for ourselves and for other believers that we would do what he told us to do, and that is talk about him because the problem isn't so much that people don't want to hear is that we don't do enough talking. We don't do enough inviting. We don't do enough telling. This morning as we wrap up this sermon series, Jesus talks, what he said about evangelism. I want to focus on what I think is one of the, one of the biggest misconceptions we have as, as Christians that gets in the way of, of some of us talking to people about Jesus and this, this idea of, of not really knowing what our job is and what God's job is, what is my role and what is God's role, and, and trying to do as a Christian what only God can do. And you'll understand that a little bit better as we get into this. But to help you deal with this, this problem, I want you to open your Bible, please, to the book of John, the gospel according to John, chapter 16. Now, the context, the background for what we're going to look at is it's Jesus' last evening with his disciples. In just a few hours, he'll be arrested the following morning, crucified and buried. And he's telling his disciples what's going to happen. He's making it really clear to them that he's going to be arrested, he'll be crucified, he'll be killed, he'll be buried. But then he tells them that he'll be raised from the dead, and after the resurrection, he's going to ascend to the Father in heaven, and he won't be with them anymore. They've got a job to do here while he's in heaven. They've never been without Jesus. I mean, for the last three years, they've spent essentially every waking moment with Jesus. And the very thought of not being with him, him not being with them, and them trying to do what he's telling them to do without his presence scares them. They're anxious. And so he tells them, I'm going to send someone to help you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. He will comfort you, instruct you, guide you, counsel you, strengthen you, help you, in every way you need help. But their situation 
is also the situation you and I find ourselves in today. We find ourselves in exactly the same spot those first disciples were in. Jesus is in heaven and we're here on earth. Holy Spirit is with us, helping us, but while Jesus is in heaven, the Holy Spirit with us, we're here on earth. We're supposed to live for him, serve him, talk about him, love people, witness for him, but he's there, we're here. And we face some of those same anxieties. The same Holy Spirit Jesus sent to them to help them, he has sent to us to help us. The problem is we often don't understand how the Holy Spirit's presence in our life helps us. So we're going to look at that and clear some things up today. See, part of what really makes it a challenge for us is that we live in a world that, for the most part, doesn't believe in Jesus and sometimes is even hostile to Christ, to the gospel, to the church, to Christianity. And that really shouldn't surprise us because it's always been that way. In fact, Jesus said it would be that way. In chapter 16, he begins in verse 1, Jesus telling them that I'm teaching you all this stuff so you won't trip and fall. You won't stumble in your faith when it gets hard because you need to realize in verse 2 he says that, and he's speaking to the, his first disciples who were Jews that had become Christians, so it's in their context. We'll translate it to ours in a minute. He said they will make you outcasts from the synagogue. We don't have to worry about being thrown out of the Jewish synagogues. But if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, there will be moments in your life and places in your life and groups that are a part of your life to which you will become an outcast. One of our struggles is we want to fit in everywhere. We want to belong. We want to be accepted everywhere and by every group. The problem is you can't follow Jesus Christ faithfully and be accepted everywhere, fit in everywhere, be liked completely by every group. There are going to be places and groups in which you as a follower of Christ will be an outcast because you're different. You're different, first of all, because you believe him. You're different because you live for him. You obey him. Your value system may be different. Your priorities may be different. The way you look at life may be different. And the only way you can fit in some places and with some groups is to deny who you really are. And so Jesus said, you just got to understand the world in which you live is such that if you follow me, there will be places and groups and times when you will be an outcast. And that makes us uncomfortable, but it's reality. Because you're either going to be an outcast with people who don't believe Jesus or an outcast with Jesus. You're going to be an outcast somewhere. So choose wisely. He continues in verse 2 by saying, An hour or a moment, a time is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. He said, Some of you not only are going to be an outcast, but some of you will die because of your belief in me. Let me ask you, brothers and sisters, when, when those Christians in many Muslim countries today are being raped and tortured and beheaded because of their faith in Jesus Christ and the people who are who are committing those heinous crimes are doing it in the name of Allah, thinking they're pleasing God by taking the life of people simply because those people happen to love Jesus Christ. And Jesus said that's the world. It's, it's, it's always been that way. There are places where Christians suffer tremendously because they love Jesus Christ. He said in verse 3, these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father or me. He said they're, they're doing this because they don't know God and they don't know me. They don't know 
Jesus Christ. Bangladesh is a nation that is 90% Muslim, 9% Hindu, 1% Christian. Their constitution says they have religious freedom, but in many Muslim nations that have that in their constitution, it's not worth the paper it's written on because it doesn't mean anything and it's not enforced. Bangladesh is one of those nations. Last year, there was a group of 25 Christians who had been meeting together secretly for three years. They decided to go public with their faith in Jesus Christ. They started building a church until a mob showed up and shut them down. And they were summoned to appear before a government official. And the, the imams and all of the, 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 the Muslim places of worship announced what was going on and told the people to show up. And so a thousand Muslims surrounded this government building where these Christians were drug in and told to either recant their faith in Jesus and convert to Islam or suffer for it. They could be killed. They could, their homes could be burned. They could be forced to leave the village and they would not be allowed to build their church. And there are men and women who love the Lord like us, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who are living in that reality right now. This moment on planet earth, there are millions of Christians who are living in in dire straits. And Jesus said the world will be like that. And you and I need to have an affinity for them. We need to pray for them. We need to care about that. But what about us? We live here in America. We don't worry about somebody burning down our house. But there are pressures we face in our changing culture. Now, most people are are kind to us. This past week, I had the opportunity on two different occasions to invite people to church this morning. I don't know if they've come. I hope they have. I pray that they have. But I had two just pleasant conversations, meeting two new people, and I was able to give them a card uh, with information about our church and invite them to church. Did you invite anybody to church this week? Did you invite anybody to church the week before? Did you invite anybody to church the week before that? Can you tell me who you invited the week before that? Can you describe a scenario in the last month, two months, three months where you invited someone to come to church? See, you and I don't live in a place where we have to worry about our houses being burned. We don't live in a place where we have to worry about losing our head because of our faith in Jesus. We live in this country where we have great freedom and great comforts, and yet we seldom invite people to church the way we're supposed to. We seldom talk to people about Jesus the way we're supposed to. Maybe the best thing that could happen to some of us who are Christians is to come under persecution. Because we're taking for granted the opportunity we have in this land of the free and blessed Maybe the best loving thing God could do to his church in America is to take some of this freedom and some of these blessings and some of these comforts from us to wake us up to the reality of what it means to be a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. Because God has blessed us with so much and we're using it as a comfort level, as an excuse to not do what he's told us to do as his followers. Now, you and I know that our culture is changing in this country, right? And there are certain places in America where there is pressure on Christians to conform and compromise and fit in, pressure to be quiet. 
You find that in certain media circles, higher education circles, some government officials, entertainment industry. We feel it. And some of us are intimidated. In Florida, a certain city in Florida, there's a Christian ministry that for 31 years has fed the hungry in that city. It's the leading ministry to feed the hungry in that city. It has been for three decades. Now, over the years, some of the food they get comes from the United States Agricultural Department, the USDA. Last year, a government official came to them and told them that they wanted to continue receiving food from the USDA, that they were turning around and giving to poor people, hungry people. They had to take down all their pictures of Jesus, take off the walls, the Ten Commandments, and they could not even offer to the people to pray with them or to talk to them about Christ at all if they wanted to keep getting food from the government to feed poor people, starving people. That's America. And I could spend the next hour telling you story after story after story after story of how things are changing in our country. And too many of us who go to church are quiet about it. In fact, another problem is too many of us spend all of our time fussing and complaining about the way the country is changing, fussing and complaining about politics and fussing and complaining about Hollywood, and we don't spend any time talking to lost people about Jesus. We don't spend much time talking to lost people, inviting them to church. And I sometimes wonder, wouldn't America be better off if we took all of the energy and all of the emotion and all of the time and all of the screaming that we holler at everybody else who's doing wrong and simply started talking about Jesus and inviting people to church? Wouldn't that do a whole lot more to change this country? Because I tell you what, if the majority of Americans love Jesus and follow Jesus, the culture would change and the government would have to get in line. You don't change the world by changing government. You change it by changing people and changing hearts and changing lives. That's what Jesus called us to be about. But we get distracted and sidelined with everything else. And it becomes a, an excuse, a justification, a reason to not do the main thing we've actually been called to do. Now I want you to notice what Jesus said in John chapter 15 verses 18 and 19. He said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, what did he say? The world would what? Talk to me. If you were of the world, the world would do what? Do you know how you fit in when you go along with the world? If you're of the world, you act like the world, talk like the world, think like the world, agree with the world. If you compromise who you are as a follower of Christ and fit in, the world will say you're a good guy. They'll like you. But see, as a follower of Christ, you can't fit in always. You can't compromise. You are who you are. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. And you don't help the world. You don't help your friends. You don't help your relatives. You don't help your co-workers when you deny who you are, compromise who you are just to fit in and be accepted. You don't help them. You actually hurt them when you do that. See, here's how it works. As human beings, we want to be loved and liked. We want to fit in. We want to be accepted. And the world's putting all of this pressure on us. And so, 
even if we don't want to go so far as doing what's wrong, we tend many times to go as far as just being quiet. Right? We're intimidated into silence. Now you add to that, you add to that a mistake that we often make. Here's the mistake. Thinking it all depends on us. You see, we... We say this world doesn't believe in the, and, and parts of the world is hostile to Christ and we're intimidated. And even if I try to talk, I don't know how to convince them. I don't know how to win the argument. I don't know how to persuade them. I'm a, I don't know enough. I, I'll say the wrong thing. And, and when you put the intimidation with our thinking that we have to win them and convince them and persuade them and we don't think we can, while that double whammy really causes us to clam up and be quiet. The problem is when we think like that, we're trying to do what God is the only person that can do. We're trying to do what only God can do. I have to persuade them. I have to convince them. I have to win them. And every time you start thinking like that and get intimidated by that thought, you are placing on your shoulder the job that belongs to God, the responsibility that belongs to God, not to you. See, here's what Jesus did. He said to these disciples who were all anxious because he was getting ready to lead them and leaving them here on earth, to do his work while he's in heaven. He said, hey, guys, don't be so anxious. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit has several jobs. And in John 15 and 16, the Greek word that is used for the Holy Spirit is the word parakletos. The the paraklete is a word that means to come alongside somebody, to come alongside and call out to them. It was used for an advocate or an attorney. And Jesus is saying, guys, listen to me. Those of you who are following me, I'm sending the parakletos. I'm sending the Holy Spirit into your life, and he will be beside you to comfort you, counsel you, guide you, encourage you, give you wisdom, instruct you, strengthen you, teach you, help you. He will be there beside you, advocating for you the whole time. You're not alone. But not only does the Holy Spirit have a role that he will play in your life as a follower, The Holy Spirit has a role that he plays in evangelism. The Holy Spirit has a job, has a role in the life of lost people. He has a job in this world that is unbelieving and at times hostile to the gospel and hostile to Jesus Christ. And God's solution to all of this is to understand what God has said is your job and what is the job of the Holy Spirit. What is your role and your responsibility as a Christian? And what is the role and responsibility of the Holy Spirit in this thing called evangelism? Define roles matter. Now, this is, this is uh, the fall. So how many of you watched any football this past week? Anybody watch football? Okay. If you know much about sports, we'll just use football as an example. You know on defense, every player has a defined role, a job, right? If you're a linebacker, you've got a job. You're a D-back, you got a job. You're a tackle, you got a job. You're a defensive end, you got a job. Whatever your you got a you got a job to do, and you have certain parts of the field you are responsible for on any particular player formation. And sometimes in football, a defensive player will get all pumped up, and he'll try to do too much, and he gets out of position. 
He over-pursues. And he gives up a lane to the offense to make a big play because he's got a job to do, but he tried to do somebody else's job and therefore didn't do his job, and the whole team suffered for it. Some of you fans saw that last night on TV, didn't you? That's as far as I'm going with that. Well, in the Christian life, it's the same way. You and I have a job. We've got, we've, we have defined roles and responsibilities. And so does God. So does the Holy Spirit. And the mistake is that sometimes you and I, rather than doing what we're supposed to do, think we're supposed to do what only God can do. So let me explain that to you in very clear terms. Here's what Jesus said is the role of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16, verse 8. When he, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he'll do something. He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And your Bible might translate that word convict as convince or show with proof, reproof. There's two words in the Greek language, two different words that, that, that are used for like a lawyer showing evidence, trying to convince somebody, Okay? One of those words means he shows the evidence, but he doesn't persuade anybody. The other word means he's showing the evidence and he's persuasive. He convinces, he convicts, he wins, he proves his point. That's the word used in that verse. Jesus said the Holy Spirit, the parakletos, the the paraclete who comes beside you to call out, to talk, to speak, in your life as a Christian, guides you, encourages you, comforts you, helps you, strengthens you when you listen to him. But he also has a role in evangelism as the paracletos, as the paraclete. He has a role in evangelism as, as the Holy Spirit, not only to speak to you, but he speaks to the world. He speaks to lost people. He speaks to your friends. He speaks to your co-workers. He speaks to your neighbors. He speaks to your relatives. And he's the one who can convince, persuade, win, You can never do that. And every time you and I place on our shoulders in this world that is sometimes hostile to the gospel, the responsibility of winning, the responsibility of convincing, the responsibility of persuading, we are trying to do what only God can do in a human heart. Now, do you and I need to learn and get better at what we do to serve Jesus? Sure. Absolutely. Don't be a lazy Christian. Sharpen your gifts. Sharpen your skills. But only God can grab a lost person's heart and change it. I can't. You can't. Only God can do that. Jesus said it's the Holy Spirit who will call out, not only to you, but he'll call out to them and convince them, convict them, show them the truth of all this stuff. Now, notice he said he'll, in, in, in the next verse, verse 9, he said he will, he, he, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin concerning sin because they do not believe in him. The word sin there is the Greek word harmatia. It's the word for missing the mark or coming up short of the goal. God set the standard. Everybody comes up short. That's what it means to sin. You miss the mark that God has set for what's right and wrong. 
And he says the Holy Spirit is the one who will convince somebody that they actually are a sinner. And by the way, he says the worst sin someone can commit is not getting drunk. The worst sin is not adultery. The worst sin is not homosexuality. The worst sin is not murder. The worst sin any person can commit is not believing in me, not believing in Jesus Christ. Because all those other sins can be forgiven. But dying without having believed in Jesus, well, that's an eternal death. And the Holy Spirit is the one who can convince people, convict them of their sin. I can't do that, but He can do that. And by the way, do you really want to know the spiritual condition of people who are not believers in Jesus? Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 18. He said, He who believes in Him and Jesus is not judged. The Greek word can be translated both as judged and condemned because it's the word that means to judge and pass sentence. We don't really have a have a, an English word for that. And so some Bibles translate it condemned rather than judged. So those who are not believing are already judged and condemned, already judged and sentenced because he who does not believe has been judged or condemned already. In other words, the reality of anybody who does not believe in Jesus at this very moment is they are already under the judgment of God and sentenced as an unbeliever to condemnation and separation from God. Unless they come to a place before they die of believing in Jesus Christ, that is already their reality. The great white throne judgment at the end of time is not God looking at every human being, opening the books, weighing everything, and deciding are they in or are they out. The great white throne judgment in the book of Revelation is God declaring to that individual and to all the universe and eternity what is already this moment a reality. That already if they're not a believer, they're already judged as lost and under the sentence of condemnation and that's their destiny unless they decide before they die to become a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. It's a settled reality. And so all of your relatives who don't believe in Jesus and follow Jesus, that's their reality. All of your classmates who are not believers and followers of Jesus Christ right now, that's their reality, already judged and condemned. All your neighbors, all your co-workers, all your friends who are not believers and followers of Jesus Christ, that is their current reality. And if they die this moment, that will be their eternal reality. And the only thing that can change that is a choice they make to believe in Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you again, why are you and I not inviting people to church? Why are we not talking to them about Jesus? Telling them what he's done in our lives. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is the one who will convict and convince and persuade people of their sinful reality. But he also continued in the next verse. Let's, let's, let's go on. Let's go on to John chapter 16 again, verse 10. Verse 10, let's just skip ahead up there. There we go. Not only does he convict people of their sin, he convicts people of righteousness. Because you see me, I go to the Father and you'll see me no more. Jesus is saying he, that the Holy Spirit will convince lost people 
of the fact that Jesus was righteous, that he had obeyed God and he was sinless. The Holy Spirit is the one who can convince lost people that because Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended to the Father, that that is proof and evidence of his righteousness because a righteous man would not experience that. Jesus says the Holy Spirit is the one who would convince lost people of the fact that they are not righteous because they have sinned. But they need to be righteous And the only way they can be righteous is to have the righteousness of Jesus Christ applied to their lives when they receive Him as Lord and Savior. I can't convince anybody of that biblical theological truth, but the Holy Spirit can and does. Jesus continued in chapter 16, verse 11, saying that He also convicts the world and lost people concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has already been judged. In other words, God has judged Satan. Hey, God's judged Satan, guess what? He's also going to judge you. Everybody's accountable to God. Everybody will answer to God. I can't convince people of that, but the Holy Spirit can. The Holy Spirit can help lost people understand that one day they will have to give an account for not only how they've lived, but what they have or have not done with Jesus Christ. Now what I'm saying is... You and I living in this culture where we're so easily intimidated, when we add to that by putting on our shoulders the pressure of having to win people, convince people, persuade people, we put ourselves in a situation we just can't win. Because it's not my job to convince and persuade. I'm I'm to be loving. I'm to be kind. I'm to serve. I'm to care. I'm to share. But, But God is the one who convinces. I can't do that. He does that. That's his job. So stop trying to play God. But given all of that, what is our job? If that's the role of the Holy Spirit, what is our role? Well, Jesus tells us in this same passage, John 15. He said, when the helper, the paraclete, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. Jesus said the Holy Spirit, when he comes into your life as a Christian, will always be talking about me. He'll always be pointing you to me, telling you to follow me, serve me, love me, obey me. He's always drawing you to Jesus, not to himself and not. And by the way, when all these people talk about the Holy Spirit and all they talk about is themselves and the Holy Spirit, that's so phony. The Holy Spirit's going to be drawing people to Jesus all the time, all the time, all the time to follow Jesus, love Jesus, serve Jesus, obey Jesus, submit to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is all about Jesus Christ in our lives. But you and I have a job. Holy Spirit talks to us about Jesus, but Jesus said you will also testify. See, it's the Holy Spirit's job to do the convincing, the convicting, the winning, the persuading, My job, your job as a follower of Jesus Christ is to do the talking. Can you write that down? T-A-L-K-I-N-G. God does the winning, but I'm supposed to do the talking. You're going to invite somebody to church? You got to talk. You're going to tell somebody what Jesus has done in your life? You got to Talk. You're going to tell somebody about the love of Jesus? You got to talk. You're going to share the gospel with somebody who's lost? You got to talk. People say, well, I witnessed with my life. That, that, with, with my life. So that's such a cop out. 
You and I live a godly life because we're authentic followers of Jesus Christ. And if we don't live right, our talking doesn't mean anything. But if you just live a good life and never say anything about Jesus, everybody will just think you're a good guy and you'll get all the glory and Jesus gets none of it. you got to talk about him if he's going to get any glory. They got to know he's the reason you're like you are. And they can't know that if you don't ever talk. And Jesus said, The Holy Spirit will testify about me, but you will testify about me also. Let me wrap this up by telling you about something that happened to me when I was in the eighth grade, just a few years ago. I still remember. I mean, it's burned in my memory. We were between classes. You know how you change rooms between classes? Okay. We did that back in the dark years too. We're changing classes. and I still remember. Her, her name was Norma Jean. You don't hear that name much anymore, do you? I, I still see her. Norma Jean looked at me. She was all excited because the evening before she had gone to revival. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's a church that has a bunch of preaching services for a week, every week now, okay? So she'd gone to a preaching service, going to a revival church one night, and she was all excited about it, and she was smiling and enthusiastic and telling me all about it. And you got to know I was an eighth grader. I was lost as I could be, didn't know Jesus, had never been to church in my life. She's telling me all about this stuff. And then I still remember what she said. She looked at me, and, and she said, Steve... That's what you need. I still remember what I said to her. I laughed at her. And I said, no, I don't. (laughs) But I also remember what I was thinking on the inside. While I was laughing and saying that on the inside, you know what I was thinking? That's exactly what I need. That's exactly what I need. Two years later, I had it. (laughs) Holy Spirit was talking to me on the inside. She didn't know it, but I knew it as a lost guy. Holy Spirit was talking to me. But you know what gave him the opportunity to talk to me? Norma Jean was talking. And because Norma Jean was talking to me, the Holy Spirit was also able to talk to me in an even stronger voice. But he wouldn't have been able to say that to me if she had never talked. How many people in this community, how many of your friends and relatives is God wanting to talk to, the Holy Spirit wanting to move in their lives, but he doesn't because we are always quiet. Take advantage of the privilege we have in this country that we sometimes get frustrated with, but in this country where it is still so easy compared to the rest of the world 
for us to invite people to church and for us to talk to people about Jesus. Stop being ashamed. Stop, stop being intimidated. Stop being quiet. Start talking. Start talking. Because people need it. And most of them want it. They just need some help. So open your mouth and talk. I mean, you talk about everything else. Might as well talk about Jesus too. Talk about your church. God will use it. Let's stand.